Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I suppose the way I've worked it out in my brain, I'm like, if it's on a story and it's not a work-related thing, do whatever you want, sweetheart. Chuck a filter on it. Do whatever you want. But if you're trying to show a makeup look or a makeup technique then in that space in my opinion a filter is unforgivable hello and welcome back to beautiful lives the podcast in which i madeline spencer am joined by guests to share some of the challenges they faced and triumphs they've enjoyed during their life, as well as touching on the relationship between their inner and outer self and where beauty memories and rituals have had an impact. Today, I'm joined by the makeup artist, Hannah Martin. She's far too discreet to divulge her client list, but let's just say there are a fair few royals on there and she's created some of the most dreamy, them but better, so to speak, makeup looks you'll be well acquainted with. This episode is a bit about how Hannah embarked on that journey. I especially loved hearing about how a counsellor changed the trajectory of her life and found her tips towards the end really handy. But it's also a lot about her life and how Hannah navigated the grief of losing her mum and about the secret to her long marriage to Simon. I was very moved by a lot of what Hannah said, particularly during those sections. This episode is brought to you by Temple Spa, one of my favourite luxury British skincare brands. Using only the finest ingredients, Temple Spa are all about creating exceptional results-driven skincare and experiences that make a real difference to your skin and soul health. Please do keep listening to hear more about my recent immersive online Spa2Go experience and how you can get involved a little later on the show. Here's Hannah. Hi, Hannah Martin. Thank you so much for making time to come on. Oh, thanks for having me. I'm sorry it's taken us so long to finally have this moment. You are on my list right from when I started recording this podcast. Tell me then about you, your childhood. Where did this makeup thing have its roots? When did you first have a moment of noticing the way people look? So what's interesting, and I'm I'm sad I'm sitting on this side of the room because I was literally just talking about this very same thing and showing some um, props. Um, but my my mum had a really kind of sweet dressing table. She bought it for her 21st birthday and um, she'd sit at that dressing table every morning and do her makeup. And she had, it was kind of one half of like a clip mirror and it's kind of a pink and white swirly thing two little mirrors on it one's magnifying one's not and she'd slot it it was broken so she'd slot it between her fingers and then start her makeup routine and uh, the dressing table's in my garage uh I have the mirror literally behind me at my makeup station and I was absolutely transfixed and I remember she had like a squeezy I want to say it was Vichy but a squeezy tinted moisturizer that was significantly warmer than her skin tone she had she had she had like an olive skin with freckles but I remember being you know if ever I saw her without makeup I was surprised how pale she was naturally and she'd kind of dot this Vichy tinted moisturizer all over and blended in and then she was very fastidious about her eyebrows and also her mascara and oh, pinned to my makeup mirror in front of me I have and don't try this at home kids I have one of her nappy pins because again it was just so synonymous with me like transfixed by her doing her makeup because she used this nappy pin to uh, don't try this at home to unpick her mascara so she'd curl her lashes so yeah. they were, you know, totally vertical. Yeah. Then she'd really fastidiously apply her mascara and then she would go through with a nappy pin to make sure they were all perfectly even yeah. and fanned. And it was an art and I loved it. And they are some of my fondest memories of just kind of sitting and watching that process happen. And I think like most children, I thought my mum was the most beautiful woman in the world. And I loved watching makeup transform her. Aside from the moisturiser that you said was a slightly tinted moisturiser, slightly the wrong colour, 
Was she good at makeup that you remember? She always looked great, but I remember so clearly when everything switched for the better. Now, she loved her... (laughs) I was showing her Mary Quant, beautiful pink Mary Quant blush. She was a fan of a green Dior eyeliner. Um, And, you know, there was a kind of phase in the early 90s where she wore lipstick that was far too dark. Um... Yeah, it it was a bit severe in the nicest way possible. It was still very beautiful, but it was just a bit severe. And yeah. then, you know, we lived in the Cotswolds. It wasn't a particular, like, fashion mecca or anything, but she did yeah. book to have um, a makeover at the Clinique counter in the Sirencester branch of House of Fraser. I think it was a Rackham's. Um, and she came back from that session like a completely different woman. They had toned down the colour palette. She now had, I remember, mocha pink blusher, which was discontinued now, but a beautiful, um, quite neutral pink. I'd say kind of Bobbi Brown Cosmetics sand pink. Pink sand is kind of the closest thing. Um, And a beautiful, very soft, again, muted brown eyeshadow, creamy, neutral lipstick. And... She it it's like she blossomed into her most beautiful self and looked so much younger with this kind of softer, lighter palette. And I remember being literally blown away. I was like, I already thought she was the most beautiful in the, woman in the world, and now she was like breathtaking because yeah. she'd been, you know, recommended makeup that just suited her colouring so well and yeah that was a real turning point actually for her. Who else was in your household then? Did you have siblings? Um, I had an elder sister Katie yeah. and my dad. And was she quite makeupy, Katie? Uh, no I wouldn't say she was. I mean we we were very we were very different children in that she was very or she is very very clever and um, a real academic um, and also really quite creative, you know, she excelled at textiles at school and um, was more of the kind of, you know, patchwork dungarees with a bit of purple hair dye vibe, listening to Oasis or whatever. Whereas I was kind of tomboy, sporty, childlike in every sense. I was tiny until I was about 14. So although we were less than two years apart, you know, she, she's still kind of five foot She's five foot six or five foot eight. She's much taller than me, but there were a good couple of years where I, <laughs> I was like this pocket person, and she was really tall. So we we could have been ten years apart in age. It was it was really funny. Um, so we were really different. So I think you know I took my makeup inspo definitely from mummy. And when did you start wearing makeup? What do you remember from those early days? So I remember I remember loving it. I, but I remember, you know, not not necessarily not wanting to wear it, but just there were, you know, from the kind of absolute obsession with my Tinkerbell makeup set that I got one Christmas at the kind of age four, which comprised of a bronze blush colour and like that peel off nail varnish stuff that came off in the bath. There was a massive chasm where just makeup didn't really feature. And then suddenly I just you know I grew obsessed with natural collection clear lip gloss and clear mascara like we weren't allowed to wear makeup at school but we'd all kind of sneak on a bit of clear mascara and to be fair you couldn't see really any benefit but it was just that knowing that you're wearing your clear mascara um and then as that kind of fascination grew I started asking for boots vouchers so you know people say oh what do you want for your birthday you know and it went from kind of pogo sticks (laughs) two boots vouchers and I'd go to boots and you know I fell in love with a a rimmel eyeshadow that was kind of a twin twinsy eyeshadow one was like a shimmery champagne the other was a brown and I did kind of the classic champagne lid with the brown through the crease and then I bought up loads of kind of neutrals from natural collection kind of camel tones browns brick kind of eyeshadow colors and I'd 
absolutely love kind of playing with him. But I remember very clearly going to my youth group one evening and I think I'd asked my sister for help actually. And I must have been about 14 and Sarah, one of the youth group leaders was like, oh, I've never seen you in like proper makeup. Oh, you look lovely. And maybe I'm overthinking this, but I don't really remember having received compliments for my appearance before. Do you know what I mean? Because I was very much like straight up and down, tomboy, um, sporty, you know, very childlike in features. And I was delighted to finally feel like I'd had a bit of an acknowledgement of my very young, but still kind of womanhood. You know, friends of mine were like, you know, curves and, you know, and had been for years. And I just, I physically wasn't there for it. I was, you know, quite a late bloomer in that sense. Mm, so it kind of handed you that baton of like, you're a woman and you can be seen almost at a, quite a young age. Yeah, honestly, when I was 14, people would think I was like nine, ten because yeah. I was so tiny. And it just felt, I, I loved being almost just being recognised for a minute as not not being a 10-year-old. <laughs> but then a year later, you met your now husband, Simon, at 15. I find that staggering. And it's funny because I joke all the time because, you know, had we met any sooner and my fear is that he maybe wouldn't wouldn't have been able to get past the like sporty tomboy and I'm like I can just see this scenario where we would have been the very best of friends and I'd have been like madly in love with him but it would have been horribly unrequited so I'm I'm eternally thankful that I had a year to um grow into womanhood a little bit I mean I was still a bit sporty and scrawny really until I went to uni but um Yes, I'm glad we hadn't met any earlier. (laughs) And you've been married now for how many years? Uh, We just had our 15th wedding anniversary. Wow. Okay, so what do you reckon the secret to having that long relationship and still being really into each other is? I wish I knew. I wish I knew. I think, I think, you know, we, we very much had a very strong basis of friendship from from the get-go like we were the very best of friends um that is still the case um and oh, I mean it sounds cheesy doesn't it but I suppose one of the keys is that we we chose to commit or like we chose to love each other or commit to love each other for life so very much I feel like that means that when the going gets tough you kind of go through it rather than leave it or run away from it. Does that make sense? But we did probably, so it was before I got pregnant with Bo. So, and she's nearly four. So quite a few years ago, we actually did something called the marriage course. And it was absolutely brilliant. And it was actually at the time it was really needed. And um, I want to say it was an eight week course um, it was on a Monday night. We met in central London, went to this course. They forced you to sit at a small table together and you kind of had people speaking from the front, Nikki and Silla Lee, and then you had a kind of workbook. And, you know, there'd be times, you know, each week was a kind of a different topic. And they made you confront things and talk. And actually one of the most eye-opening sessions was a listening session. And I was like... <laughs> I'm a great listener. You're the one who doesn't listen to me, blah, blah, blah. And they made us do this exercise where you had to listen to your partner for 20 minutes and not say a word. And it was the hardest thing because I realised, you know, it shone a light on the fact that I often will jump in when Simon's trying to speak. And... I think I know where he's going, so I jump in. And I often jump in because I've got such a poor short-term memory that I panic if I don't say what I'm thinking right then that I'll forget it or whatever. But actually, I realised in that moment that I wasn't practising effective listening. And, you know, you want to be heard. Of course you want to be heard, especially by your partner. So, yeah. That was a real eye-opener. And we still use a lot of the stuff we learned to that marriage course, like now, in our marriage. When you were with Simon, right in the early days, going back, you went to uni and you studied nursing. 
Yeah. <laughs> did you want did you want to be a nurse at that point then? Well, did I want to be a nurse at that point? I think I did. Um yeah. kind of when school finished, it all got a bit confusing. So, you know, Sai wanted to go to Cambridge, but he didn't get in. I wanted to go to theatre school. I didn't get in. I had like an emergency gap year. He had a bit of an emergency gap year. We then had this plan. We're like, right, well, I'll go to Oxford Brooks and do nursing. You'll go to Oxford and we'll have this lovely kind of um, joint experience and it'll be great. He then overslept and missed his in Ox- his Oxford interview and which he kept a secret until our wedding day when his best man spilt the beans and I've never seen his dad Rob look more mortified in all his life he looked down the table at me and said Hannah is this true I was like yeah I'm really sorry um so he ended up going to Durham so you know about as far away as he could get really within you know England um and I think I think initially I thought, do you know what? Nursing's a good idea. So his mum was a nurse. I was like, I do love people. It's not acting, but I've failed miserably at the one thing I thought I probably could do. So why not? Let's try something completely different. So what appealed to you about acting then? Were you were you someone who was always quite dramatic when you were younger and into the arts? Oh yeah, I loved it. I loved theatre. I loved going to the theatre, you know, my grandfather used to take my sister and I we were really young my parents mm-hmm. loved theatre too so you know theatre was a, a big part of growing up and I loved performing you know it started with kind of dance shows when I was really little and then um yeah I just I yeah. love drama and amdram and as someone who just wasn't academic you know I wasn't I was really sporty but I wasn't sporty enough to you know excel in sports like professionally or whatever I was really musical but I wasn't musical enough you know to join an orchestra for a living or whatever but acting I was kind of okay at and you know I still have the letter of recommendation from my drama teacher recommending me for theatre school because you know it was such a dream. How did you go from nursing at uni into working in makeup? So I actually had, I had a bit of counselling at uni because I was utterly miserable. And um, I wish I knew her name, you know. I saw her once in Fenwick Bond Street. And I said to her, I was like, oh, I know you. I recognise you. And she was like, mm-hmm. And then it finally clicked. And she was like, yeah, for, it's not data protection, is it? But whatever the rules are, she was like, yeah. I, I can't tell you, but if you remember me, that's totally fine. Um, yeah. But I remember sobbing in her office, just saying, you know, I'm so miserable. I just, I don't, I don't really, I don't think I want to be a nurse for the rest of my life, but I've, I've already failed at one thing. I can't fail at something else. And, um, and she said to me, like, if you could do anything, what would you want to do? And I had a school friend called Rowena Pinches, who was at LCF doing theatrical makeup. And I was like, I just, I'd love to go to London College of Fashion and study theatrical makeup. And she said, well, why don't you? And I was so surprised that um, she considered it an option because I didn't, I just didn't think I had the choice or I didn't think I could change path again. Um, And I think the fear of failing was huge. I was like, well, what if I try that and I fail at that as well? I suppose I had a bit of a midlife crisis when I was very young, put it that way. Um, And I, you know, I just thought, well, maybe I maybe I can. And I did a bit of assisting. I remember sharing a bit of my like yearning to get into makeup at the benefit counter in Oxford. Now at the time in the Debenhams, you know, there, it was all kind of your traditional makeup houses. So there was Chanel and there was Dior, there was Clinique, um, Clarins, Aveda, and then there was Benefit and Benefit seemed to be where everything was happening. And I remember sharing this with one of the girls at the counter it was something like I was telling her this on the Thursday and then I worked a shift on the Sunday like it was a very kind of rapid well don't just talk about this why didn't you come and work with us and see how you get on and I did that alongside uh my last year of uni like and then 
uh, the year between finishing my degree and Simon finishing his degree, uh, I worked there full time. And that was kind of the start. And how did you find people to assist? Did that come through that as well? Uh, No. So it first came through, um, the first assisting job I got was assisting a makeup artist who'd done my makeup on. I used to do a little bit of, um, for the local hair salon in Oxford, I used to do a bit of hair modelling. So, you know, pictures in the window and I just, I assisted her, which is great fun. I think one of the biggest worries I had was telling my parents that, I wanted to try again something different. And um, so I finished my degree. I didn't kind of, I didn't leave. So I finished, I completed the hours. I didn't do a dissertation. I didn't do the management module. So it was downgraded to an advanced diploma. Um, but like, I didn't even go to my graduation or anything. I was so, okay. I was so done. What did your parents do? Uh, my my mum had lots of different jobs. My dad's a solicitor. My mum had lots of different jobs. Um, she was a, a dairy maid at Lowesley Farm mm-hmm. for some time. Um, and then she worked for, it used to be called the Spastic Society. It's not, is it called Scope now? I'm not sure. I'm not sure. We can yeah, look into okay. that. Um, yeah. But I remember telling all my friends that she once got to demonstrate uh, a new wheelchair on Blue Peach and I thought that was the coolest claim to fame ever um, and then in later years she ran um, a bed and breakfast at our at our home which was lovely um, but it was funny I knew I knew they thought it was really risky but I remember receiving a message from one of her friends after she died Carol Mannheim who I actually never really knew that well because I was never I was never really at home when they were friends or whatever. My sister knew her very well. And she said, and I I don't know if I loved the message or not, but she just said, you know, your mum would be really proud. We were all so worried (laughs) when you said you wanted to try makeup, but well done. You've, you've shown what kind of hard work and perseverance can, can do. And yeah, I remember feeling a bit like mixed about the message in itself. I, and I wonder if the point was, I actually, uh, you know, when I think back, I actually had nothing but encouragement from my mum. I think confirming that she'd voiced to her friends that she was really, really worried <laughs> made me feel a bit bad, I suppose. And you were 28 when your mum passed away. Um, was it was it sudden? Were you expecting it? Um, we knew it was coming. So she had cancer. Um, and from diagnosis, they, you know, they gave her a year to live. So it was all we it was always quite we knew it'd be quite quick but then she we went we went for dinner I don't think the restaurant exists anymore called Allium in Fairford to celebrate her sell-by date as she called it because she lived you know past her um original prognosis but I think it was 15 months 16 months was there anything that you lent on or anyone you lent on anything that really helped you I suppose in handling grief I I, I actually had some therapy probably 18 months after she died, maybe a bit longer. Um, obviously, I leaned, lent on my husband a lot. Um, at the time, you know, we lived in London. We, we didn't have any family in London. His parents actually were living in Kenya. So we didn't, we didn't really have, like, a particularly strong support network. Mm-hmm. Oh, yes, we had lots of friends. Um, however, I'd been in a role for a couple of years in the run-up to my mum's death that meant I travelled a lot. And because I travelled a lot, actually I was quite... We were quite disconnected from our London friendship circle because I just wasn't... I wasn't present. And when, you know, if I was home for the weekend, then we'd go to Gloucestershire to be with my mum. So... And we were young. Do you know what I mean? I feel like when you know your friend is grieving intensely in their 20s you don't necessarily have the life experience to know how best to help and I just remember being inundated with um if if there's anything I can let me know if there's anything I can do to help and actually I didn't have the mental capacity to think of a menial task that I could ask someone to do to help them feel better that they were helping me do you know what I mean? Because actually it's, it, it, it's quite a hollow gesture because you're putting all the emphasis on the grieving person to think of something you could do. And I'll always remember, and this is thanks to Bobby Brown again, um, 
a talk that I was privy to at one of our conferences in New York from, oh, it's going to bother me, her name's escaped me, but it will come. She wrote a book called um, Breaking Dawn. It'll come to me. Anyway, she's, her job is now as a motivational speaker and she her words were, don't let what you can't do get in the way of what you can do. And right. that's something I've carried with me from the moment I heard that because, you know... My friends couldn't help my pain. They couldn't bring my mum back, but they could drop food. They could pop in and just do the washing up surreptitiously. They could pop around to just chat. They could just be, do you know what I mean? So you can't necessarily fix the situation, but you can just, just without, think, without asking, do little things that make life that little bit easier. Did you go straight back to work? I had five weeks off because I also, um, I I actually had a miscarriage at my mum's funeral. So, um, or I, I, I think I'd, st- I'd started miscarrying, but then I had the, f- the you know. Had you had your first child before? No. no. Okay, so this was our yeah. first round of IVF. So I actually, we missed my mum's wake because we, we left, we went to the church, we went to the internment and literally left the graveside to go to hospital and where they confirmed yeah that I'd lost the baby so I was processing like that at the same time you were working at Bobby Brown at the time is that right so how long had you been there for at that stage at that stage so that's 2011 since 2006 Mm -hmm. so a good five years and I'd been in my like you know that pro artist role for probably three years at that point Right, so you knew lots of people and there was a lot of, like, understanding of your life and what you were going through at the time as well. Yeah, I mean, I look back and I wish I'd been, like, slightly firmer, let's say, with what I needed at the time and, you know, something that haunts me, and I will get over it, but something that haunts me was that I had said really clearly, like, like, my mum is dying, please can I not work weekends because I just, I have to. I need to spend whatever time I can in Gloucestershire with her. And the weekend before she died, I was working in Cardiff. And, you know, I just, I did get back to Gloucestershire, but not till really late on the Saturday night. And then I had Sunday with her, but then I had to leave to get back to London ready for work on Monday. And then when I got the call from my sister to say, like, babe, the nurses reckon it's imminent you need to come home I was almost in Edinburgh so again I lost another day because I had to get to Edinburgh to turn around and then get back from Edinburgh to London and then home from London back to Gloucestershire so you know I I just it's silly because it's like it still like makes my throat tighten when I talk about it now you know and of course my work were very accommodating and they were good but I wish my request to be more local had been really heard so that those precious hours, you know, we're talking hours, those precious hours I could have snatched with her, um, I hadn't lost to work and travel, you know. Oh, that sounds awful. And how many rounds of IVF had you done as well at that point? So we did we did three all in all. Um yeah. And I was I was one of those fortunate people that actually I got pregnant every time. I just kept losing them. So, um, and actually our daughter, Bo, um, was um, a miracle conception. She, she was a natural conception, which, you know, she's the, the biggest surprise of my life and the biggest gift of my life. Um, the only thing that's frustrating is I, I am now that statistic where people so unhelpfully say, stop trying, don't think about it, and it will just happen. And I suppose that's exactly what we did do. My husband was training for an Ironman triathlon. We, like, we'd parked IVF to have some time off because, you know, we'd had, we had three miscarriages. It was all just a bit stressful. And then I got pregnant naturally. As promised, I thought I'd use a little break in this episode to tell you a bit more about my Spa2Go class experience with Temple Spa. After joining a class a few weeks ago, I decided to host my own, so I asked a few of my oldest friends to join me for a pamper across Zoom with a Spa2Go lifestyle consultant. 
Learning about the results-driven ingredients in our skincare, as well as trying out the products, was such a treat, and we unanimously fell for the In the Beginning Cleanser and the Repose Night Cream, both of which are fixtures on my skincare shelf, by the way. It was such a lovely reason to all come together, and I'd very much recommend. So if you want to host a class, you can band together with some friends and have a virtual skincare session, or grab your nearest and dearest and bring the spa to your home. Temple Spa will send you the little box of products beforehand, so you're good to go. And if you fancy, you could also become a Spa2Go lifestyle consultant and lead the classes. I'll pop all the links and info in my show notes. Thank you for powering today's episode, Temple Spa. And let's go back to Hannah Martin now. Let's just rewind a little bit in your career and then I'll come to the present day. I would say that you are very well known for doing healthy glow which is why you so naturally segued into, or well, always, but segued really well into doing wedding makeup because, you know, you make people look how they want to look, like that sort of Jennifer Aniston-y glow. Oh, like, what a great reference. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Was that something that you just sort of gravitated towards? Yeah, I think it's just my favourite kind of look. Yeah. I just, I love fairly simple, fairly straightforward, glowing skin, Mm-hmm. And usually like a soft, smoky eye. I, and I don't, I think I'm just inspired by like, like classic, classic beauty pictures. If I think of the stuff that I was tearing out of magazines, it yeah. was always just the classic beauty. I, I, I'm looking at my books here and I've got Andrew Gallimore's book. I, I have so much appreciation for, you know, real creative makeup and I you know it's such an incredible art form but I'm fully aware that that's not where my strengths lie because that's not where my passion is my passion is actually just helping women feel beautiful I, I love it there's there's nothing more addictive or kind of for me what's the what's the happy drug is it dopamine I think it is dopamine for me it's that feeling when someone looks in the mirror and you see their whole spirit lift their shoulders drop and they, they, you know, they start zhuzhing their hair and flicking and pouting and, you yeah. know, they walk away with a hop and a skip. And, you know, people genuinely do that when they feel incredible. And that's that's probably just, yeah, that's my favourite thing about the power of makeup. So you have done a lot of famous brides. The one that I can mention is Eugenie, Royal Brides too. Um, which is a makeup, by the way, when I saw that, I didn't know you'd, you, you'd done it until about, I don't know, 20 minutes into the wedding when I was on Instagram. People go, oh, it's Hannah Martin, it's Hannah Martin. But I saw her walking down the aisle and I, I think I put on my Instagram, this is the best I've ever seen her look. And the difference between the sort of glowing, you know, proper, proper, I want to say Hannah Martin signature makeup and her usual makeup was really pronounced. I wanted to ask you a little bit about that and about doing other really um, brides where it's on like a, big stage and you know it's going to be watched on television and um and it's a big deal how that feels for you and also something I asked Mary Greenwell who um has done you know very prominent people in that room when you're doing the makeup and there are people around that you know from you know the press whatever it is but people around that you know and it's a big deal do you feel the sense of that as you're doing it or do you go into an automatic mode i think there's there's you know there has been ahead of big events you know a certain amount of anxiety and stress because you know it's a makeup look that's you know it's going to be critiqued um i think sometimes the general public are kinder than peers because for some reason i you know I think peers quite like to pick apart each other's work. I don't know what I don't know what purpose it serves. And actually I was talking to a friend about this recently where I was like actually as a makeup artist I very much try to not judge a makeup look because you never know the circumstances behind it. So you don't know if the client insisted on said shade of foundation you don't know if the makeup artist had five minutes whilst hair and nails were working at the same time you just you just never know so don't judge um but yeah no so I think I've always gone into those kind of slightly bigger jobs nervous and you know often yeah some circumstances actually haven't been that um that easy if I think back to um, my darling Eugenie's wedding, actually 
just the way life worked we didn't get to Windsor till fairly late um the hotel was incredibly busy with guests we were put in a room that didn't have any beds for the children Bo Diana it was the, it's the only time she's ever been physically sick she started okay. throwing up she fell asleep so Simon like lay at the end of her cot bed I shared a bed with bear who kicked me all night and I was like I can't believe I've got such a big job in the morning and I'm not sleeping this isn't happening um but thankfully with with the bigger weddings I've done there's always been prep time and um we've managed to create like an atmosphere of calm whilst we're doing makeup so that there's you know time to focus time to get it right as you know when you're working with a bride or any client Yes, it's so important that you get the look right and you collaboratively agree what's going to work best. But actually so much of our job is being a friend, being a confidant and being a listening ear and kind of like a stabiliser, you know, in an otherwise fairly kind of stressful situation. Do you have a way that you engender this calm thing? Um, So I... It's not kind of aromatherapy or candles. I do love little LED mask moment. I have mine from um, the light salon, which is just, you know, 10 minutes of calm. Yes, it's skin prep, but it's also just a moment to kind of decompress. Um, But I'm afraid I'm a stickler for a bit of a schedule. And I think brides think it's really annoying, but it's always the weddings where, you know, they profess to be relaxed and chilled and no need for a schedule like we'll just go with the flow that actually become really stressful and you're right like you know yes they might think it's really fun to have all the champagne going and the loud music and it's party vibes but actually when you're trying to do your very best work all those kind of distractions are just not helpful um so I I too often say to my brides you know if possible it'd be lovely if we could have you know a calm moment together I remember one of my brides um the lovely Alice Edwards you know she she actually stipulated that and we took ourselves off and got ready elsewhere and it was perfect and that was quite a few years ago now but I remember thinking right I'm going to try and do this um with my brides going forward it's not always possible you know sometimes if you're in a venue and there is only one room and you know you're like okay you've got eight bridesmaids the bride the dogs three hairdressers you know wedding planner it's all going on and you just have to crack on what I do do is I endeavor to always set my kit out in the same way the same pattern and that it doesn't I don't always get the time or the space but I try to and it's something I learned at Bobby Brown Cosmetics and that's just so that you kind of always know roughly where you're reaching for the product that you need. And that really helps. It's always the jobs where I don't have time to set up properly that I get most flustered because there's nothing like being in a rush, feeling a bit panicked to make you blind. I'm going to ask you some sort of fairly specific questions surrounding this topic. So more product based. So the first thing is, if I would say to you five makeup products to get your signature look, if someone wanted to go off and and do it, what would be your five? Oh, an excellent moisturiser. Mm-hmm. Um, a tinted moisturiser, a concealer, a cream blush and a mascara. So that's keeping it very, very minimal. But I think with those five, you've got the basis of a bit of a glow. How you prep the skin is so important. And I maybe I just need to do a video about it because I feel like I, I'm saying this on repeat to people who are like, Hannah, I bought X and X foundation, but my skin still doesn't look glowy. I'm like, okay, let's unpick it. What's your skin type? What are you wearing underneath? You know, how are you treating yeah. your skin? And I think often there's a misconception that the foundation is the product that's going to make your skin look its best when actually 90, 98% of the time, it's actually the, the prep beforehand. 100%, yeah. So... With those products then, do you think that spans any age? Actually, yeah. If you're young and maybe you've got problematic skin, it's okay. You've got a sheer base and you've got concealer that you can top up to conceal any blemishes. If you are more mature, um, it's always much more modern and youthful appearing to have a bit of a glow to your skin. I asked people online what they'd like to ask you. A lot of people said, I'm mature. Can I still do makeup? Can I still do X? Can I still do Y? So what would you say the answer to that is? Absolutely, yes. Um, 
yes, 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 yes. It might be that your skin needs more moisture than it did before. It might be that you want to opt for a lighter foundation that you've before. It might be that, like my mum, it's it's time to investigate um, I hate to say it, a slightly more muted hues. Now, I don't mean muted hues so you disappear and you're not noticeable. That's not what I mean. But I mean, there is a time as your skin tone changes, as your hair colour maybe changes, where, you know, my mum's emerald green eyeliner stopped working. It was it was too harsh, it, you know, and it might be that opting for a softer, a softer route is more flattering. Bringing a face to life, if you just look grey and pale and pasty and bad, not that pale always looks tired, actually, but if you're looking tired and you've got that feeling that you just want to take your energy in your face up, what's the easiest way to do that? Um, Again, moisturiser. Like, I can't tell you the, the mornings where I'd had no sleep after a night up with the kids and just feeling deathly but then putting on a really rich balm and suddenly having this glow to the skin is like oh actually I don't look half as bad as I thought I did um but I'm a massive believer in color so whether that's and and pink it works across every skin tone a bit of pink on the cheek a bit of pink on the lip and it just revitalizes you and I think it's because it is emulating your skin at its healthiest you know if you've been for a brisk walk or whatever and a bit of blood's rushed to the surface if you can put a bit of color back into you know a slightly sallow or just kind of worn tired face Mm -hmm. it it can be very uplifting and do you feel like there's any big difference between winter and summer makeup in terms of making yourself look good um i think do you know i think they're kind of I, i do think there is in winter months chuck on a really deep sexy velvety red lipstick and you can you can you know she says kind of shimmying (laughs) like that can have the same kind of empowering feeling as popping on you know a beautiful pink gloss or pink cheek of a beautiful summer's day what appeals to you about being online you do a lot now across platforms online and you already had a really full career you're already plenty busy. What about, I want to say educating and also being on 10 years younger in 10 days and, you know, programs. Is it just that you reach more people or is there something you like about the autonomy of online? Oh, interesting question. I do love the autonomy on, you know, being online. I, I love that I can, uh, you know, think tutorials in my head and then just film them, do them and put them out there. And I think I always took the standpoint with say like my Instagram platform that it was you know for predominantly makeup based your beauty based but that you know I wanted to do you know realistic beauty and I remember if you scroll back far enough to when I very first started Instagram I didn't know what I was doing but I did a couple of really awful hyperlapse makeups like they are terrible the makeup's not terrible but the videos themselves are terrible because they're not edited they're far too fast but I had this idea that I was like right what I want to do is I want to do a speedy makeup and then I want to do a flat lay of the products I used so people can see what is realistic so with these products this is a realistic makeup look that can be achieved and I start I mean everyone's doing them but I started doing kind of before and after pictures mm-hmm. as a like, here's a flat lay of the products I used. Here's a pour and up. This is what I looked like before. And this is how my face has changed using the products in the aforementioned picture, whether it was before or after. And I think that was when, I can't remember, it was one Christmas and maybe it was stylist, but they put me, or glamour, I can't remember, but they put me in an article being like, makeup artist to watch online Uh, and why and they'd said like we love Hannah's like authentic before and afters um you know it's 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 super realistic because I was so irritated with you know either just super super heavy makeup pictures or pictures that were like ridiculously altered now remember I'm talking about before things like Facetune or did Facetune exist from the beginning I just remember people using really bizarre apps to do really bizarre, awful Photoshop and stuff. And just thinking, 
why are you posting that picture? It looks nothing like you. I have one along these lines. Maybe you can tell me if this is what you think. I can't stand it when people don't look human anymore. Like, I love it when you see the... Because that's the thing about makeup, right? It makes you look... I mean, it's so hackneyed, but it makes you look your best self, as it were. But you still look human. What I can't stand, whether it's through surgery or makeup, is when people start to not look like a human being anymore. So I think that when people put those photos on, whether it's through filters or face tuning apps or whatever it might be, I just don't like it. I don't like it. There's something about it that makes me think, I don't like looking at this. It doesn't feel like it's actually makeup at all. It just feels a bit depressing, really, basically. But I also think it's really misleading and confusing. So, yeah. like, I suppose the way I've worked out in my brain, I'm like, if it's on a story... And it's it's not a work-related thing. Do whatever you want, sweetheart. Chuck a filter on it. Do, you know, do whatever you want. But if you're trying to show a makeup look or a makeup technique, then in that space, or in my opinion, a filter is unforgivable. It's false advertising. <laughs> it's also way less helpful as well during the ageing process. Because I think if you're starting to do that... And people at 50 are kind of thinking, well, what can I do in my unadulterated face? It's very uncomfortable to only see people who've gotten rid of everything or every sign of ageing, because not everyone will have done that. I just hope there's a movement where, you know, especially people in the industry who people look up to, like I think they, we have more of a responsibility than everyone to to not be misleading. I get it. There are apps and filters that are so flattering. Like, go go ahead. Like, live your best life. Do it on your stories where it's, you know, been and gone in a minute. But if it's something you're putting on your main grid that you are professing to be something. I love the face you're pulling now. You can't see the face Hannah's pulling. It was like a wrinkled nose and a very uncomfortable lip. (laughs) (laughs) I I was so unsure about saying that, but... No, I'm with you. And I think that's a really important point of integrity as well as a makeup artist. Okay, we don't have much longer. I'm going to quickly ask you um, one more question before we move on to the three questions that I ask all my guests. So, okay, you've got fingers in so many pies and you have this, you know, lovely relationship with your husband that I imagine you still want to have date nights and nurture. So I'm wondering where you have five, 10 minutes, half an hour even, what you do that makes you feel good and how you look after yourself, the body, the mind, the spirit? What is it that that you do for yourself? It's a challenging question. And actually, I've seen quite a few kind of quotes and memes recently about like not wearing your busyness as a badge of honour because it's actually nothing to be proud of. Um, And I'm happier when I'm busy, actually. I, I enjoy being busy. However, there's a fine line between enjoying being busy and just having a full life and then a complete overwhelm. And I, I, I'm on a, I feel like I, I teeter, like it's, what am I trying to say? It's a very fine line between happily being busy and juggling and feeling like you're kind of winning to then feeling completely and utterly overwhelmed, just kind of a bit drowning in stuff my husband and I've talked a lot about you know in the future what can I do with my career to kind of streamline slightly because to your point I do have my finger in a lot of pies and I love my career for that because I can do so many different things and I don't I don't quite know how I'd streamline it but it's something that we're talking about because I can't maintain necessarily the pace that I've been working in recent years. Does he work full time? Actually, he works four days now. He he doesn't work on a Friday, so he um, is kind of icy children and everything mm. on a Friday. Um, okay. So, yeah, I don't, I don't know what that looks like. Um, yeah. Thankfully, Simon is, like, he's very supportive and very capable. So, you know, it's not that we split the childcare because we're both parents but um he's perfectly capable of doing mm-hmm. you know lots of childcare. right to finish i'm going to ask you three questions i ask all my guests so the first one what to your mind's been your greatest triumph career or personal <sighs> so many things i'd want to say but it's got to be my children 
one piece of advice you would give your younger self, which younger self would you return to as well? Uh, I'd love to return to the younger self who was the like fearless gymnast, cross-country running, full of... I didn't know what it meant to feel unfit because I'd never felt it. Um, I'd also say to her, it's going to be all right. You'll find your way. It's going going to be absolutely fine. Do you know what's interesting? So many people say that as their bit of advice to themselves. I think it's kind of really sad that we all sit there worrying and actually older version of ourselves is always like, it'll be fine. Okay, it's going to be fun. Okay, name three people, dead or alive, who you'd like to have dinner with and why? Who you'd have at a dinner party? Elizabeth Taylor. For her looks? For her looks, so I could try on the Taylor Berta diamond and just so we could talk Hollywood, because it just fascinates me. Um, Britney Spears, because she was like, she's long been like my style icon. Style? Clothes icon? Yeah, yeah! Even now? No. Okay. That sounded really bitchy. Sorry, I don't. I didn't mean to say that like that. But just, you know, I, I feel like her style now is, is not quite... No, she's responsible for kind of inappropriately low-cut jeans and boob tubes and all the rest of it and, like, doing 2,000 sit-ups a day because I just wanted to look like her. Yeah. Um, and then I'm torn because part of me is, like, you know, I remember Lisa Potter Dixon saying that Jennifer Lawrence would be a brilliant dinner party guest. I thought, yes, she's hilarious. Um, But then I always find, what's his name? Tom. Uh, He's always a brilliant guest on whether it's Jonathan Ross or um, Graham Norton. Who? Tom who? Hanks. Tom Hanks. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. I'm with you on Tom Hanks. Yeah. Tom Hanks. Also nice man yeah like really decent man yeah that's a good list well (laughs) thank you so much hannah for coming on oh thanks for having me Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. 